every single person on earth, howsoever meager their circumstances, has an extraordinary narrative to share. I think humanity is the repository of all of these extraordinary you know, stories that, that really, you know, I mean, it's the lifeblood of our global culture. Stories are the lifeblood of our global culture. And men's stories, you know, are, for those of us who partake of such stories, are, are sometimes just extraordinary, especially when the man is balanced, that the, the feminine is as alive in him as the masculine is. When there's that balance and that flow in the balance, wow. Very powerful. (laughs) Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. What is your relationship to fear? Is there a way to overcome fear to help you make better decisions? And how do you know what to say yes to or no to in a world full of distractions and demands? Well, in this episode, my guest John Rotz and I offer insights into these questions and more. John is one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. We first connected in 2010 through his organization, the Global Alliance for Transformational Entertainment, also known as GATE. I was immediately enraptured by John's massive vision to ignite the spirit of transformational storytelling in mainstream Hollywood. You know, Bring back to storytelling what it's been for thousands of years. Not a way to make money, but a way to diffuse wisdom throughout the community so that we may live well. And alongside legions of others who were likewise enraptured by John's vision and passion, I helped John produce these marathon gate events attended by a diverse world of celebrities, artists, Hollywood execs, renowned spiritual teachers, and thought leaders. Those events were famous, or a little bit infamous, for running into the wee hours of the morning. The stage was like a clown car overrun by John's Rolodex of visionary artists, celebrities, entertainers, and storytellers. People like Eckhart Tolle, Jim Carrey, Melissa Etheridge, Marianne Williamson, Annie Lennox, and so many others. They were all there, in the audience and on stage talking beautiful possibilities for humanity. Truly, those days working with John and Gate are among my favorite memories of my years in Los Angeles. As I said, John is an extraordinary man. He's had his tireless creative hands on just about every project in the transformational entertainment universe, from the mind-bending movie Mind Walk, which blew my young mind in 1990, to What the Bleep Do We Know?, which blew my slightly older mind and millions of other minds in 2004, and also to Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now, which John helped make an international bestseller, and which always blows my ageless mind in the present moment. If you were to scroll through John's CV, you would surely discover that you too have been inspired at some point in your life by something John was involved with. And today, among still countless endeavors, John is the advisor to actor and comedian Jim Carrey. I'm genuinely a big fan of John as a man. In addition to just being kind and humble, he is a fascinating study in the potential of the human spirit to dream up possibilities and then take action to make them reality. Definitely stay tuned for John's five key takeaways at the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. John Rotz. It is an honor to have you on Men This Way. It's my pleasure, Brian. Thanks for inviting me. Man, when I conceived of the idea of this podcast, you are such an obvious choice. (laughs) We've known each other for quite a number of years now. Yeah, many years. Many years now. And 
you're a man that I have looked up to and admired for your integrity, for your commitment to serving the world with new ideas and inspirations. You've had one of the most extraordinary lives, John, of anyone I've ever met. I mean, you've had your hands on, on projects that touched me in my heart. Was it Mindwalk? Yes, Mindwalk. 30 years ago or so? Yeah, 1990. You've been formative in my life in ways that I didn't even know. <laughs> There's so many other Very things. Very kind of you, Brian. Thank you. And with all that and everything that I've already said about you in the introduction, I'm also just inspired and moved by your kindness, your gentleness, and your humility, John. That's very nice, Brian. Thank you very much. I appreciate hearing yeah. it. And your mind and your creativity, you're just nonstop. So, <laughs> you know, the first thing that I want to just ask you, John, is, man, do you take vacations? And if so, you know, what was your most recent vacation where, ah, uh, did your mind stop on that vacation? Yeah. Well, actually, every day is a vacation. Because when you love doing what you love doing and when you get to work with the people that I get to work with, yourself included, it's truly like a vacation. It's just play, you know. Um, My wife Yoko and I went to Europe, specifically Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Liechtenstein. And it was an extraordinary time. And we met some amazing people, including... Prince Alfred of Liechtenstein, who's quite a progressive thinker himself and a visionary. And he and I are actually planning a few projects together. So it was a very exciting time being in Europe. Yeah. You told me that he had a beautiful eco-resort. Yeah. He has a world peace eco-resort. And you know, part of it was built a long time ago and part of it he built more recently. And he's wanting that property to serve the needs of world peace and the ecology, the environment. So uh, it's very exciting. How was it for you and, and Yoko, your wife, to just be there for those few days? And, and I mean, oh, it must have been relaxing for your bodies. It was. It was magical. Again, you know, the place itself is magical, the environment and all of the, the goodies, the amenities that it offers. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, being with Prince Alfred and his associate, Giannis, mm-hmm. was extraordinary. The conversations we had, the ideas we explored. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out, you mentioned Mindwalk, the movie at the top. And it turns out Prince Alfred was on the board of one of the financing companies of Mindwalk back in 1990. So Amazing. though he and I didn't meet at that time, there yeah. was that synchronicity, which yeah. was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have countless stories like this. <laughs> I mean, I can't even imagine all of the adventures. I've had a pretty adventurous life. I'm very proud of my experience. You have. But man, I feel like I'm a neophyte at the feet of your adventures and experiences and all of the personalities and people. Well, you know, Brian, I'll tell you, this this might be kind of a thing related to men, but I think, you know, many of us kind of feel that same way, even though someone such as yourself might point out, you know, all of the things we've done. But, you know, honestly, one of my vulnerabilities is kind of feeling like, well, when am I going to actually accomplish something? I, I, you know, I don't (laughs) feel like I've done much of anything, you know, and I worry about, you know, have I really impacted people Mm. in the world in a positive way? And, you know, this Vedic astrologer once told me that my life is like a ladder. I'm constantly climbing up the ladder and I'm looking up ahead. I'm not looking where I am. I'm not looking back. I'm just constantly looking ahead Mm. to try and make sure I do something worthwhile. (laughs) I remember you sharing that with me uh, at lunch a few weeks ago and we were down at Homeboy Industries in Mm -hmm. in LA and, and it was such a relief to hear you speak that. I so relate to that. I'm so, yeah. I don't know if hard on myself is the right word, but it's the same kind of, there's almost no impact big enough that would satiate. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I don't feel like I'm hard on myself. I just feel that yeah. because I feel my capacity to do and express is considerable, but I, I don't always feel like I'm putting it to the best or highest use, you mm. know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. Tell us about a significant event or experience in your early life that played a fundamental role in shaping you as a man. 
Well, this particular experience, I would say, certainly contributed to shaping me as a man, but really shaped my life, you know, in all aspects and all respects. And when I was 11, I had what many people today would call a quote unquote spiritual experience. Mm. And I didn't have a reference point for it. I didn't have any kind of learned reference point. I couldn't really speak about it to my parents or my sisters or my friends or my teachers at school or, or at the time, my minister. Mm. It was you know something I, I just didn't know what to do with. I didn't know where to put it. And fortunately, through a series of events, I found myself in a head shop in Flint, Michigan called the Touch Boutique. And I was working in, a, in off-the-wall records at the time. And down the hall was a bookstore. And the bookstore was called Middle Earth Books. Mm. And one day when I was done with work, I walked down the hall. I went in the store, kind of, kind of shyly poked my head around the door. And the gentleman looked up and said, hey, come on in. You know, and he was Dick Strickland. And he said, so are you into this kind of stuff? And it's like, well... I don't know. You mm. know, I'm very young and mm. naive. And, but he loaded me up with books like Autobiography of a Yogi, mm. Be Here Now, and Alan Watts, and the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and, mm. and the Tao Te Ching. And, wow. You know, it started speaking to me. So that experience all of a sudden came alive with the words of the masters from the ages. Even though they didn't address it directly, intuitively, I felt there was a connection between what I, what I had experienced and the words they spoke that were obviously yeah. born of deep wisdom. So that experience just set me off on a whole other direction. It, and even at that young age, with the things I was involved in at that time, completely changed. Mm. I mean, those are all, you, just the ones you mentioned are some of the classics, well, yeah, <laughs> they are now. <laughs> they are now, right. At that, at that time, they, they weren't. <laughs> and how has that infiltrated your work in the world? And, you know, another way of asking yeah. that might be, why do you do what you do? Why does it matter? Well, I, um, I, you know, as far as why it matters, I really can't answer that. I'll leave that to you and others to, to make that determination. But, you know, remember Joseph Campbell said, yeah. follow yeah. your bliss right? And I didn't know who Joseph Campbell was back then, but, you know, in later years when I discovered him and I I heard that phrase, it spoke volumes to me because ever since I can remember, I followed my inspiration. Whatever I felt good about doing, I followed that. And if I look at my career path from that time until present day, it's very zigzaggy Mm. and spirally. And, you know, it probably wouldn't make sense to um, Mm -hmm. conventional mindsets. And yet, it's indicative of the fact that I followed my inspiration. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, looking back in retrospect, it all makes sense. It makes perfect sense why I did this thing or that thing or the other. Mm -hmm. Because the, the confluence of those things came together to inform the work that I've been doing for, well, 30 years now. Yeah. You said something, follow your bliss. Yeah. And I remember in our conversation a few weeks ago, you told me about, you have a, almost like a criteria for what you say yes to versus what you say no to. Yeah. And the two are very much related. Follow your bliss is really a question of, okay, what are you saying yes to? Yeah. And, and I know that's evolved over time, mm-hmm, definitely. but how would you, like what works for you now? in terms of what you decide to say yes versus no to? Yeah. Well, number one, and, and I don't want to sound trite or cliche, but it very much is an experience in that moment. And I'm responding to what it is that my experience is in that moment that I'm having that experience. Mm. So it could be somebody calling me on the phone. It could be somebody I meet at an event and so on. And they may ask me to be involved in their work, their project. You know, for me, it's firstly a felt sense. Mm. There's something that I'm, you know, perceiving at some perhaps deeper level Mm. that informs how I feel about, you know, that person or the work they're doing or the project and so on. That's the thing that I experience first and foremost is kind of a felt sense. I call it, it's that needle in my solar plexus. And 
when it gets activated, when it's inspired, then all of a sudden I noticed that my creativity emerges and engages. And I automatically start thinking about the possibilities and what can be done and how can we solve this challenge or whatever it is that's being presented. So that's kind of the beginning of the process. Do you ever, or have you ever, you know, Mike, Mike, hearing you speak that and, and talk about your journey, one of the questions that, I, that arises for me is around fear. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship to fear, particularly when it comes to taking action? Because you, you have one of those minds that you blow me away with your, with your possibilities. So, you know, I feel fear frequently. And, you know, by way of an example, there are a couple of things. And one was when I was younger and I was almost drowned. Mm. And then the second one was a fear of flying, not so much in a big plane, but in a smaller plane. So what I've learned about myself, I think, is that when I encounter a fear, it seems as though my mind, my emotions, even my body begins to engage in overcoming that. And the proportion of any one of those three, mind, body, emotions, Mm. in a given situation, I suppose depends on the situation itself. Mm -hmm. But even though I was very young when I almost drowned, when I moved to California and I was in my 20s, I went to a children's swimming school. And even though I felt embarrassed, Mm -hmm. you know, that I was like the only adult (laughs) in the class Mm -hmm. learning how to swim, Mm -hmm. it was part of my spiritual journey. I had to work within myself. It's the laboratory of self. I had to work within that laboratory of self to overcome the embarrassment, to overcome the fear of the water, and so on. And so within that laboratory of myself, you know, all kinds of things went on sort of magically Mm. that helped me to move through that fear. Same thing when I learned to fly a plane, Mm. I went through a similar process where I had to, again, work within the laboratory of self. And the the kinds of things that go on in that laboratory, it's alchemical. And, you know, it's really a very solitary and private journey. Mm. A lot of it is conversations with your higher self, if you will, Mm. and even your lower self. Mm. kind of coming to terms with certain things. Mm, yeah. And so that's the real journey to me is the laboratory of self. You said the word your lower self and what 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 occurs for me when I think of lower self, I think short trauma in the body, mm-hmm. but more so even um, thoughts, yes. limiting beliefs. Yes, that's actually what I'm referring to yeah. is the, the kinds of self-talk that is not helpful to ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, if you were to examine, obviously, all of us have innumerable thoughts every day. And if we were able to take a snapshot of a particular day and the thoughts we're having, we would probably notice hmm. that the majority of those thoughts are either fears about the future or regrets about the past, some form of those. And so the challenge becomes, you know, how do we, how do we cut through the, the fears of future and the regrets of past and truly be in the moment where the mind is more still, more quiet, mm-hmm. where there is greater clarity, which obviously promotes more holistic action. Mm-hmm. Are there there any specific thoughts or beliefs that you had to confront and overcome in yourself along the way? And and how, so you've you've talked beautifully about sort of what looks like in the journey. Is there a specific process or technique or something that happened to help you do that? Yeah. Well, first off, I'll share my own, you know, personal practice or practices, but Mm -hmm. there can be, you know, as many people as there are, there can be that number of approaches, I suppose. But for me personally, When I became aware, again, referring back to that experience I spoke of earlier when I was younger, that so-called spiritual experience, you know, around that same time, the Beatles traveled to Rishikesh, India to be with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and they learned meditation. And I had just purchased and listened to Sgt. Pepper's, and I was a huge fan of the (laughs) Beatles. And when I saw that they went to India, and I already had kind of opened to Eastern philosophy through Middle Earth books and such, I said, I've got to learn that technique. Unfortunately, and this was in 1967, and unfortunately, a meditation teacher did not come through my hometown of Flint, Michigan Mm. until 1973. Mm. So 
in that interim period, I studied many different approaches. I studied Hatha Yoga. I dabbled in Hare Krishna and even Scientology, though that was a very short experiment. Mm -hmm. And other types of meditation techniques, what today is called Vipassana. I basically did various forms or versions of that. But what happened, Brian, is when I learned Transcendental Meditation, TM, it had such a profound influence on me that I literally stopped doing drugs, drinking. I was in a rock band. I quit the band. I determined that I only wanted one thing. I wanted a connection and relationship with God, and that was it. And so for quite some time, I I kind of followed that path. So my primary practice over the years has been meditation, specifically transcendental meditation. Mm -hmm. But I've dabbled like everybody in many different techniques. And I always, you know, kind of refer back to TM as really the most profound I've ever practiced. And Mm -hmm. that's why I've never given it up. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I've gone to all kinds of workshops and seminars and hung out with many spiritual teachers who became friends and or clients and such, you know, and I still do that to some degree. But whatever one does, to me, it's important that you actually do a practice that leads to a greater and deeper connection within, with the higher self. In the absence of that, it's all mental, pardon my French, but it's all mental masturbation. And, you know, it's important to have the reality of deep experience informing your day-to-day life. Yeah. I'm curious about how your relationship with your father shaped your life. Yeah. Because you've been on such a profound journey of connection to self. And one of the things that I'm really curious about from in my own explorations is, um, you know, the relationship to my dad. And, and in many ways, I think, you know, one of the ways that I, that I sort of perceive my own experience is that I'm learning to father myself Mm -hmm. because I didn't, there's so much missing in the, in the human father relationship that I longed for for so long. And that fathering myself, the way that I'm really experiencing it is like what you just said, connecting to a higher source of wisdom within me. Yeah. I'm curious about your relationship with your father. Yeah. So first off, my parents were obviously of a a different generation Mm. who grew up during the time of the depression and world wars and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And that informed their living experiences in in very different ways than those of us who grew up in the 60s and were informed by the awakening, if you will, that happened uh, during the 60s and beyond. And my relationship with my father was loving but superficial. Mm. My father, as it turns out, this is something I discovered a little bit later, Um, he really wanted to be a concert violinist and he was quite an accomplished violinist. But when he got married and then they moved from New York to Flint, Michigan and started a family, he realized that he needed to be the quote unquote provider. And so he went to work for General Motors, white collar and became frustrated because I think, you know, he really wanted to be a musician performing musician, but circumstances disallowed that. And I can remember Brian waking up at, I don't know, two, three in the morning, and I could hear him playing his violin out in the kitchen. Mm. And I could hear it in the distant. And so I think he was very frustrated. And the way that showed up in his life is I think he was very kind of insular. He didn't really, you know, connect with me in the way that other fathers and sons connect, you know, playing Mm. ball together and going out and doing things and what have you. So I was kind of on my own and really under the influence of my mother to a much greater degree. And Mm. she was an angel. Mm -hmm. And so if there was a little bit of conflict there between my father and I, my mom would step in and be that soothing balm that would kind of heal it. Mm -hmm. And so, and also the same Vedic astrologer I referenced at the top of our conversation also told me something interesting. And I, I don't know that I've ever really digested it, but he said that it was my destiny to not be close to my father. Mm. 
Hmm. that had I been close to him, he probably would have gone away, Hmm. whatever that means. I've never really been able to interpret that. Hmm. So I think, you know, from a kind of a soul standpoint, I think, you know, we come in to this life and I think there are certain tendencies and there are probably many of them we probably choose certain of them to kind of work on in this, yeah. in this particular life, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a loving relationship. And in fact, I'll show you this too. Toward the end of his life, he sent me a beautiful note expressing his regret and letting me know that he had always loved me and mm. that he apologized for anything he ever did that hurt me. Mm. And that was so beautiful. And I actually called him and I said, you know, dad, truth is I probably deserved it all. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. And that made him feel good. And it, yeah. was a, it was kind of a really deep bonding. Yeah. You know, John, I've, I've reflected on, cause I've, I've lacked that, that father figure saying to me consistently, you're doing great, son. You've yeah. done enough. You're successful already. Like that's been a a lack in my life for so many years. And I've, I've wondered if that part of me that thinks I'm never successful enough, I've, mm-hmm. I haven't had enough impact. Mm-hmm. I notice when I spend time as my father and I have healed our relationship more, and he still doesn't say those things to me, but as I learned again, to connect with that source, the inner wisdom in me, the, you call it a million things, you know, the father inside of me and to give that to myself. But when I spend time with my dad or even just I go home to my mom with my stepfather. And it's just, yes. I notice that part of me gets quieted. Yes. Yes. I notice that part of me feels like, oh, I can relax. I can rest. Yeah. 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 I relate to that. You know, I think for some of us, we have to take responsibility for how we feel about ourselves. And, mm-hmm. you know, even with this other stuff that we've spoken about going on kind of on the surface, yeah. whether it's self-doubt or fear or a lack of confidence or a lack of clarity, whatever, whatever shows up, I've taken responsibility and said, okay, that's happening, but I'm not going to buy into it completely. Yeah. I can't maybe avoid it 100%, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. I can yeah. manage it and I can do things that kind of help offset or counter yeah. those, those things. Yeah. And that to me is the spiritual life. That is what the spiritual life is about. Yeah. And I, I'm curious to know, you know, you and I were steeped in this conversation and in this world, but I know so many men listening. And of course, you and I, we're still we're fucking human. We still get mm-hmm. confronted with our, you know, I, I still get confronted with the sense of disappointment when a new project doesn't go the way I want it to. Or, sure. You know, and I'm wondering, has there been a significant, I'll just use the word failure, but professional or personal or, or some major disappointment that deeply affected your journey as a man? Well, honestly, nothing is coming to mind immediately. I, I feel like I've truly been blessed. And I think that since I have always followed my bliss, followed my inspiration, I think pretty early on I learned that if something doesn't go my way, then it doesn't go my way. Yeah. And I move on to the next thing. I don't get trapped by that quote-unquote failure. And you know what is a failure anyway? I mean, I've, I've asked yeah. that question for decades. And I, you know, the only answer I have is that failure is nothing more than a state of mind like weather. You know, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it passes. So don't become too involved with it. It's like, feel it. Don't don't ignore it. Feel it. Embrace it. But then let it go. Move on to the next thing. So I can't really relate so much to the concept or the idea of failure. Yeah. I wonder, how has your spiritual practice, your meditation practice, served because you've been involved in so many things and countless of them have not gone the way that you were really excited or hoped they would. Mm -hmm. And has your spiritual practice been a container or or a a foil, if you will, for Mm -hmm. those kinds of experiences to just not get you so much? Yeah. Well, I think the spiritual practice or practices Mm -hmm. actually lead to a deeper connection within, with self, if you will, with consciousness. And when that connection is forged, it comes with all kinds of benefits. And I think it really 
shapes how you respond, not react. Um, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe we were once reactive and then we, we find a greater foundation within and all of a sudden the reaction turns to more responding. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that condition, if you will, that state that is cultivated by spiritual practice is one that begins to recast the nature of mind, the nature of emotions and such, to the point where we truly do become more, if you will, conscious, and I I use that word carefully, of what our moment-to-moment experience is. And we learn, it actually happens quite naturally, it's not contrived, we learn that in that moment, the appropriate response will present itself. Mm. And I'll, I'll mention this too. There was a time when I was a little fearful about public speaking. And I've done so much of it now. But the reason I no longer feel fearful of it is because my experience has informed me that you know I don't even have to really prepare. I can simply get up in front of a group and start talking about whatever the topic is. And it all comes from inside. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I'm witnessing it. I'm listening to it along with the audience. Quite a wonderful experience. So I feel, you know, long story short, that our spiritual practice or practices help create, help cultivate that state of inner awareness, of calm, of silence, of stillness. That particular state informs our day-to-day living in a major way. Yeah. John, you've been in relationship with a very sweet woman, Yoko. Yes. John and Yoko. John and Yoko. (laughs) How many years has it been now? 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. And you shared with me recently how even still your, it has evolved and you've discovered even deeper levels of love. Yeah. Well, Interestingly enough, (laughs) you know, I I think that that is a journey for everyone, uh, certainly men, to really experience, you know, a deep, uh, to continue to experience deeper and deeper values or states of love. Mm. And what I considered a love in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, my 60s has changed and evolved. Mm. And I've questioned, you know, why is it, at least in my case, why did it take so many years? to get to this place where I can really feel a true sense of selfless kind of love and giving. Why did it take so long? Why didn't that happen in my 20s? Why did I have to go through so many things to get to this point? Why is it happening later in life? And I don't have an answer. It just is. Yeah. And, you know, and this particular relationship is, is the one that really, you know, helped that condition or that state blossom yeah. into a more fuller experience. What's been for you the most important distinction or lesson or insight uh, around creating a truly fulfilling, intimate relationship with Yoko? Listening. Mm. Really listening. Now, again, at the risk of sounding trite Mm. um, or cliche, you know, by the way, a lot of ideas, a lot of expressions over the years that, you know, are frequently used by people who are communicating, you know, hopefully higher understandings, higher truths. They do sound kind of overused cliches and trite expressions, but it turns out a lot of them are absolutely true, you know? And um, so, you know, I feel like listening, though I've heard about it, for decades is a critical, critical factor in how I process a relationship on a day-to-day basis. Well, can, can you make a distinction? Because I think a lot of men listening, yeah. ironically, will, will yeah. you know, I work with couples in relationships yeah. and, a, and a lot of men, and my, I myself included, we think we're listening, but what all we're doing is actually hearing. We're not actually listening. It's a big difference between just hearing what's there and really listening. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're hearing, your mind is not necessarily listening. The mind might be actually thinking about what it wants to say, what it next wants to express, and not truly listening to the other person. Truly listening to the, the other person is when the mind is still, it's quiet, and your focus is you know, I want to say 100% on the other person and you're truly listening and truly hearing what they're expressing to you. Your mind is still, it's quiet. 
It's almost like you're in a state what Eckhart Tolle would refer to as presence. Mm. You're in this state of presence. And when you listen within and from the state of presence, the mind is quiet. And when the mind is quiet, you can truly begin to hear and truly listen. And then we don't have to worry about what we're going to say next because what comes out of us next is truly in response to what we just actually heard. And it also promotes a state of calmness. You know, to me, calmness and true listening go hand in hand. I don't think you can have one without the other. And those two together, I would say, you know, are the state of presence. Yeah. Yeah, A coach that I worked with and who actually I interviewed on this podcast, Mm -hmm. Steve James, he Mm -hmm. defines intimacy as feeling what is there to be felt, Mm -hmm. seeing what is there to be seen. Mm -hmm. And I like how you describe listening as really focus is on the person in front of you, not your own thoughts, not your own story, not your response. No, no. Yeah. You know, to me, it's an effortless state. It's the state of frictionless flow. Mm. It's the state where none of our the impulses of the lower self are arising to counter mm-hmm. or to best, you know, what the other person is expressing. Mm. It's truly a state of, you know, what some people refer to as choiceless awareness. And it's a calmness. And it is connected to the the you know the, the physical process of hearing. Our senses become rooted in that state of silence. And in that state, I think on every level, I think our minds are clearer and sharper and more focused. Our emotions are balanced. Our senses are beginning to truly perceive that which is in us and around us mm-hmm. and the relationships that arise therefrom. Mm-hmm. How do you notice that Yoko responds when you're really listening to her? Um, because she is kind of in that same place. It's almost like a mirroring that's going on. And, you know, you'll notice, um, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with um, NLP theory. Mm-hmm. And I believe there is a technique called mirroring or some such thing. And you'll notice that if somebody approaches you and how they approach you, how they say, how they frame what they're going to say to you kind of influences your response or your reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody comes at you in a very hostile way, you know, and, unless we're really in control of ourselves, we may respond in like. Yeah. But if somebody approaches you and there's some, you know, a, a kind of a calm demeanor about them or a presence, a calm presence, you know, you experience that. I know I've been around, I've had the great grace to be around many spiritual teachers in, you know, these last 50 years. And one thing I've noticed is that when I'm around spiritual teachers who truly have that interconnect happening, if I have any questions, they evaporate because in that presence, presence is the answer. There is nothing more. Mm. Whereas if they're coming and they're kind of giving a discourse and it's a very kind of intellectually heavy Mm. discourse, you know, then all of a sudden the mind starts to work a little bit more Mm. and there's questions and doubts and concerns and fears and what have you that all come up. Mm. So to me, it's that inner state of consciousness Mm. that is the be all and the end all of our experience. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that. I've experienced that. Yeah. Silence in the presence of presence is... Oh, it, it, as you said, it, it answers everything because there's nothing to answer. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of the more superficial considerations just evaporate, you know, like yeah. water on a hot day. Yeah. John, you've worked with some of the most fascinating personalities of our time from Eckhart Tolle to Jim Carrey to Father Boyle, the man who started yes. Homeboy Industries and yes. countless others. And I know so many Men have been touched by your presence in their lives, including me, and surely you, you by them. Kind of you. How is your life made richer by your friendships with men? Yeah, well, the men that you referenced and, and many others, you know, <laughs> for me, it's a great grace because seeing how they function in the world, seeing how they operate, seeing how they interact with others, seeing how they process their experience, and on and on and on, has influenced me in you know, ways I can't even really begin to fathom. Mm. 
because you know every action has an energy associated with it. It's all energy, right? That's what the mm-hmm. physicists tell us and the, the great masters. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all energy. And so when you're around like Jim Carrey, who is, you know, uber creative or David Lynch, you know, the Mm -hmm. film director who has a very unique brand of creativity. Mm -hmm. Peter Farrelly, another movie director, uh, the film Green Book, has his own style of creativity and interacting with people. And, you know, you get a chance to see and same thing with Eckhart and Mm -hmm. so many others. And each has their own distinction and their own flavor, if you will, and their own texture, their own scent. And I'm using sensual descriptions because, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a physicality or it is an energy um, or it is simply presence itself, mm-hmm. each expression is unique. It's kind of like notes on a musical instrument. And, you know, when you hear it, it influences you, you metabolize that hearing. You metabolize what you see. You metabolize, you know, all of the senses metabolize our, our, day, our, our experiences. So when you have a chance to witness the creative process and creativity through these various people, and, you know, the interesting thing is that their humanness will come up at times. Mm-hmm. And, and you might wonder, well, how is it that that comes up when there's all this other stuff going on? But <laughs> right. it's, it's part of the, yeah. the great paradox. It's part yeah. of the great mystery. Yeah. And, you know, I worked on the film, What the Bleep Do We Know? And I remember Fred Allen Wolf, and I, I believe it's in the film. I don't think it was cut out. He had this expression. He said, don't be in the know, K-N-O-W, be in the mystery. Yeah. And to me, being in the mystery of not trying to figure it all out, not trying to understand, you know, the contradictions and ambiguities and so forth, but just allowing that to wash over you like a great ocean wave yeah. is, is part of the, the beauty of being able yeah. to be around kind of these highly evolved beings, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. And I want to emphasize for the men listening that I think what it really comes down to is Put yourself in the presence of people who inspire you. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> yeah. You, <laughs> you know, just encapsulated it. <laughs> we can't all hang out with Jim Carrey as much as we'd all like to, but there are people in your midst who the world has gotten infinitely smaller in so many ways. We're, we're so connected in ways we never have been before, even as we still feel very lonely. Yeah. And we have an opportunity, though, to create friendships, to work with mentors, to join men's groups are happening online or, or, or locally more and more and more. But the point is to be around people who inspire you, who inspire you to the mystery. That's the greatest gift, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, the people that we've spoken of, many of them are famous um, or semi-famous and known for their, you know, artistic expressions or their humanitarian efforts, which is beautiful. But you know, Every person, every man that I meet has a unique story, a unique narrative. And some of them are in the process of articulating that, embellishing it, Mm -hmm. growing it, changing it. But everybody has a narrative, a story that runs central through their lives. And it has many tributaries. And if you take the time to sit and talk and you really listen you know, I, I do have this belief that every single person on earth, howsoever meager their circumstances, has an extraordinary narrative to share. Mm. You know, it's the repo- mm-hmm. I think humanity is the repository of all of these extraordinary, you know, stories that, that really, you know, I mean, it's the lifeblood of our global culture. Stories are the lifeblood of our global culture. Mm-hmm. And men's stories, you know, are for those of us who partake of such stories are are sometimes just extraordinary, especially when the man is balanced, that the the feminine is as alive in him as the masculine is. When there's that balance and that flow in the balance, wow, very powerful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'll cap that off by just saying my best business plan has only always ever been to put myself in the same room with people who inspire me. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's that's a quote, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put that on your website. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 
Beautiful. Thank you, John. I have so one final question before the five key takeaways finale. That question is, what do you think, John, is the biggest challenge facing men today and what wisdom can you offer in the face of it? Yeah. Well, I would say it's identity. I think in the world today, it can become very confusing uh, as to you know who we are, what our role or roles is or are, what our responsibilities are, how do we relate to ourselves inwardly, how do we relate to others outwardly, including women, how do we relate to our job, how do we relate to concepts like success, how do we understand death? How do we understand, you know, so many different things? And so I think the whole issue today, maybe more than at any other time historically, is the issue of identity mm. for a man and, you know, who am I in the world? Mm. In a way, I think women have already a deeper interconnection with, mm. with capital S self, more than many men who get caught up in probably due to conditioning and training at a pretty young or early age. Um, that tends to kind of ride with them uh, throughout the course of, of much of their lives unless there is some kind of an awakening, if you will, and we'll put that word in quotes, uh, that happens that starts them, you know, to question a little bit more deeply, you know, who they are in the world. And then that issue of identity, you know, hopefully at some point sooner than later gets resolved, howsoever it gets resolved. Mm. And as far as how men deal with that, well, I truly believe, Brian, that this is where the whole idea of spirituality comes into play and doing some kind of a practice on a regular basis. That means every day. So as an example, I begin the day and I end the day with a little prayer of gratitude, with a little bit of an affirmation. I do my meditation practice twice a day. I take walks every day and I think about things, not heavily so, but just things that might be in my space right now. And I don't try to you know, arrive at answers or conclusions. I simply let the mind simply be aware that these are things that might be of concerning to me right now and to please, you know, engage with the higher power and let some answer come up. Mm -hmm. So I think that these kinds of things really help clarify our identity. I think they help shape us in tangible ways, ways that we can experience ourselves in a much higher light. And I think it also inspires us to want to share that with the world. Yeah, just two days ago, I started working with a new client, a man who is 57 years old, Mm -hmm. successful in the outward ways. Mm -hmm. And he said something to me that really struck me. He said, you know, I'm 57, I'm successful, but I still don't know what I want to do with my life (laughs) because I don't know who I am. Yeah, that's it. That is the question. And, you know, there is a non-dual spiritual teacher, um, by the name of John Sherman. And John, and I, I'll, I'll have to paraphrase because I don't remember the entirety of the quote, but it has to do with identity and the idea that once the, the question or the issue of identity is solved, everything else in life is taken care of. Mm. That that's from his standpoint, that identity for everybody is the primary issue. And if you look at that, historically, um, actually going back thousands of years, even 5,000 years to the Vedas of India, this question of who we are is fundamental to the fulfillment of our lives. Yeah. Beautiful, profound. Mm -hmm. Thank you, John. So now we're going to conclude with the five key takeaways finale. (laughs) The point of this round is to, look, we've just had a really beautiful conversation. I mean, if any man listening were to listen to this again and again and again, it would be a different conversation every time. There's so much depth and nuance to what we've just explored. But I want to make sure that the men listening, when this podcast stops, they have practical, actionable resources, tools, practices that they can begin to work with immediately. So five key takeaways finale. Key takeaway number one is the key insight. What's the one key insight that you would offer listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? 
understanding that the world is as we are. So that's kind of like, uh, I forget that, that quote that says, um, we don't describe the world as we see it. We see the world as we describe it. Yeah. If you have on blue glasses, everything appears blue. Yeah. Red glasses, everything appears red. Clear glasses and the multiplicity of colors becomes alive. And, you know, for me, this notion that the world is as we are, yeah. that the world is a reflection of us, puts the brunt, if you will, of responsibility on me uh, for what happens in my life, for how I perceive and process experience. Yeah, it's really an invitation to question. It is. Question your conclusions. Yeah, it is. But also explore, you know, like, okay, why is this happening to me? And why is it happening in this particular way? And you get the gist of it. I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. just it. The world is as yeah. we are. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Key takeaway number two, key mentor. Name another man that you've been inspired by, living or dead, that you would recommend listening to learn more about. And you only get one, John. I know you got millions. Oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> well, okay, seriously. And, and again, at the risk of sounding, yeah. you know, cliche or trite, it has to be Eckhart Tolle. Um, so I became aware, uh, actually, somebody sent me a galley copy of The Power of Now, what, 17, 18 years ago. And I read it and I instantly got it. And it was like, this is where I'm living. I love, love, love this book. Mm. And I wanted to meet Eckhart. And maybe a year later, I did. And shortly after that, we became friends. And over the years, I've done different projects or business things with him. And, but I've, you know, pretty much every word out of his mouth for me has positively and deeply influenced me. Mm. And I just love the guy. <laughs> yeah. So beautiful. Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. His book, uh, A New Earth, yeah. gave me a new earth, put yes. me on a new earth. That's right. Beautiful. Yes. Key resource your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of the last year? Uh, again, very, very difficult. Um, you only get one because these men, yeah. they, they only have so much time in the day. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I do have a book actually. And, and interestingly enough, um, actually, you know what? <laughs> uh -huh. Can it only be one? Can I give yeah, more than I, one? Well, John, I know how under your mind. Here it goes. <laughs> Here we go. You can give us two. All right. You can give us one or two. So this book is called If You Want to Write a Book About Art, Independence, and Spirit. Huh. It is an extraordinary book. It was uh, first edition came out in 1938. And the other book, well, another book, because literally I, I cannot confine myself, but another book is The Gift. <laughs> by Lewis Hyde. Okay. Uh, don't know if you know that book or not, but it's no. uh, subtitled Creativity and the Artist in the Modern World. And people like David Foster Wallace and Margaret Atwood and, you know, so many others have lauded this particular book. So those two to me are, are wonderful examples. Excellent. Thank you. And men listening, we will include all of this in the show notes. So if you didn't catch all of this, just go to brianreeves.com. It's Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash podcast. And this will be there in the show notes. Key investment. In the last year, what's the best thing that you spent money on under $10,000? Um, these are really great questions and very difficult to answer. Uh -huh. The hardest questions you've asked. Uh -huh. okay. um, you know, I would have to say spending money on behalf of my wife is a great investment. Mm. Giving to her things that she might want or experiences she might want to have. It's not just things, but things that embellish her experience in life mm. is to me the best investment. Uh, you know, various yeah. things I've done over the last year that, that made her happy. Yeah. I can so appreciate that for Christmas. You know, it's been lean in years past and life has been good to me financially in these last few years. And mm -hmm. it's been such a joy. I've bought Sylvie, my partner, some of the most ridiculous things, mm -hmm. but only because I could. It was just such a joy 
I knew yeah. that they would touch her in some way, even though she would never buy them for herself and I would never yeah. buy them otherwise. So I, I can so relate yeah. to that. It, it's such a rich... It is. And, and by the way, that ties back to our conversation about listening because you know, I feel bad when I'm not really listening. My mind is divided. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember later, maybe you know, we spoke and then she went to work or whatever. And later in the day, I remember, oh, I wasn't really present. And I, and I feel badly. And you know, if, if that was the last conversation we were to have, I wouldn't want it to be of that nature. Mm-hmm. So I want to, you know, I just want to as much as possible be present and truly listen and giving to her. Yeah. Finally, John, key practice. Please offer one consistent practice, spiritual, creative, personal, or relational, that has served you well and that you challenge the men listening to take on for the next seven days. Yeah. Well, so there's, there's two again. And one that requires more effort and more of a time commitment is meditation. And, you know, I, I recommend transcendental meditation or TM, but any kind of a practice that orients you inwardly will do. And um, the other thing is the true practice of gratitude. So in the mo- like I said earlier, in the morning and, in the, and at night, um, I begin and end my day uh, with uh, a, a prayer of gratefulness. And I don't move. I sit down and I don't move until it isn't just a rote you know, it's not just memorization and speaking it, but I wait until I connect with that presence within me. And from there, the words emerge of gratitude. And that's how the day begins and ends. And I feel like it really sets the right tone for the day. Beautiful. I, I've actually done that practice since you've shared that with me a few weeks ago. Yep. Uh, when we had lunch, I, I've done that practice, of, particularly a few times when I would Sometimes I'm throwing the ball with my dog out in the backyard and I'm a little bothered by it because I have other things I want to do. And I've thought of that gratitude practice and I'll throw yeah. the ball and really take in all that is so good about this moment. And it's yes. lovely. And by the way, you know, regarding masculinity, um, you know, we, many of us have a tendency to feel pride around our exhaustion mm. and not taking time to nourish ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, I've been guilty of that, certainly. And now, whatever I'm doing, I really want to connect with the spirit in that doing or that doingness. And so, if I'm, you know, if I were you, if I was playing with my dog in the backyard and I started to feel the pressure of daily living, I got to get to work, I got to do the podcast, <laughs> yeah. I got to write yeah. the checks for the bills, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. That to me is exactly the time to stop. Yeah. Stay still for a moment. Yeah. Reference yourself inwardly. Wait till you get quiet. Yeah. Wait until your heart settles down. And then take the time to engage with the dog for a few minutes. Yeah. I think that is one of the most important practices a man can do and I can do. I'm so with you. It is. It is. Yeah. Don't give in to the impulse of the fight or flight response. I'm so with you. It's so, yeah. It is the edge of my spiritual practice <laughs> to just throw the damn ball with my dog and enjoy the <laughs> hell out true. of it. That's true. <laughs> That's, That's my spiritual practice. It, man. <laughs> John, uh, where can people learn more about you? Um, well, actually, right now, um, the three websites are all down and being reconstructed into one website. So at a certain point in time, but probably not till February or March, there will be, I think, a website, johnrots.com. And when you go there, you will learn about me, about the visioneering group, about GATE, about all of the different things I'm involved with, the different projects. And that's what we're working to do now is integrate all of the sites into one unified site. Great. So johnrots.com. Yeah. And I don't know when it's going to go active. No, pre- no pressure. Reach out, reach <laughs> yeah. out to me through you uh, if you'd like, and I'm happy to talk with anybody. Absolutely, yeah. good, John. It is a pleasure to know you. I'm so honored to know you. You are a gift in my life. You are going to be a gift to the listeners. Thank you so much again for saying yes to this. Thanks, Brian, and I, I feel the same way about you. And I wish you the very best and happy holidays. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to John. 
Find John at John Rotz. It's R A A T Z. That's how you spell his last name, R A A T Z dot com. And if that website isn't up just yet, just search John Rotz online. And any links, resources, books, and John's five key takeaways will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com. It's Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash men this way podcast. And if you can think of anyone else who might be served by what you just heard, please share this episode with them now. And to help more men benefit, as well as the mothers, sisters, children, and the lovers who love men benefit from this too, please, right now, go to whatever app you're listening to and rate this podcast with five stars and glowing words so that you too can lead more men this way. And don't forget to subscribe while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y, Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.